The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by U.S. Bank, the power of possible. Learn more at usbank.com newsroom. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, July 12th. In today's news, Donald Trump upends the NATO summit. Brett Kavanaugh incurred tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt by buying baseball tickets. And the Republican nominee for governor in Ohio flip-flops on Medicaid expansion. But first, the big idea. A toothless trade resolution demonstrates Congress's unwillingness to check Trump. Trump is remaking the global order without significant political resistance or penalty, unchecked by a largely compliant Congress, and bolstered by the loyalty of his supporters, even those likely to be most hurt by his burgeoning global trade war. Are there any senators wishing to vote or to change their vote? If not, the yeas are 88, the nays are 11. The Senate on Wednesday passed a non-binding measure calling for a greater role in overseeing Trump's trade decisions, an implicit criticism of new tariffs the president has levied on some of the country's closest allies and largest trading partners. But this vote has no power to prompt a course change from the White House, and it follows failed attempts to advance measures that could have given Congress real power to restrain Trump on trade. Here's Bob Corker, the Republican chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. This is a baby step in a good direction for the United States Senate and for our country. Congress's passivity in the face of Trump's escalating conflict is one of several factors that have made it easier for the president to forge ahead. Others have included markets that have not melted down, business leaders who have done little beyond using rhetoric to criticize the trade spat, and Republican voters who have stood by their president despite supporting free trade. In each of these cases, critics of his trade policy thought Trump would find reasons to be dissuaded. They thought wrong. Congress is zeroing in on a section of a 1962 law that Trump is using pretty dubiously. It's called Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act, and it allows the president to impose tariffs if American national security is threatened. Trump is literally claiming for legal purposes that the nation's safety is jeopardized by our use of steel from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union. He's now threatening to use the national security exemption to target foreign-made automobiles. This is not the way the law was intended to be used. Corker and Pat Toomey, a Republican senator from Pennsylvania, tried to insert a measure into the defense reauthorization bill a few weeks back that would have closed this loophole. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, always afraid to pick a fight with Trump, blocked their effort. Noting that the president would simply veto the bill if the language was included, the Kentucky Republican called it an exercise in futility. Toomey spoke about this on the Senate floor yesterday. Let me just stress that this vote is a vote to move in the direction of restoring to Congress our constitutional authority, and ultimately, if we do that right, to revisiting the misuse of the 232 provisions of of our trade law which is applying inappropriate tariffs on steel and aluminum from our allies and close friends, I urge my colleagues to vote yes. On the other side of the Capitol, the House has even less appetite to challenge Trump on trade. Speaker Paul Ryan actually used to be one of the most outspoken supporters of open markets. But yesterday, he twisted himself in pretzels at a news conference as he explained why he still opposes tariffs, but won't hold any vote on a bill that could limit Trump's power to use them. Yeah, I don't want to hamstring the president's negotiating tactics, but I've long said I don't think tariffs are the right way to go. I think there are legitimate 
absolutely legitimate unfair trade practices, particularly by China, that we and our allies should be confronting. So that is that is important to point out that China does steal intellectual property. They do engage in unfair trade practices, which violate not just the spirit, but the letter of the WTO standards that they agreed to play by years ago. Over the past several decades, Congress has repeatedly ceded its authority over trade through laws and fast-track agreements. This approach has actually worked very well for congressional Republicans like Ryan and other free trade advocates, as presidents negotiated NAFTA, then the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and other pacts. But then Trump arrived, determined to ride roughshod over all of it. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Trump ripped into America's allies at the NATO summit in Brussels and demanded that other nations double their military spending. During an on-camera exchange over breakfast, Trump ripped into NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg, a mild-mannered former Norwegian prime minister, and he blasted Germany for its dependence on Russian energy. Here's the president. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia because they will be getting from 60 to 70 percent of their energy from Russia and a new pipeline. And you tell me if that's appropriate, because I think it's not. While Stoltenberg remained stoic, Trump's own aides, including White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, appeared annoyed and shifted awkwardly in their seats. Even as the president attacked our allies, he signed on to a formal effort to strengthen the alliance against the Kremlin and other rivals. He also signed a statement that does not accept Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea. Hours after the breakfast, Trump insisted in a closed-door meeting that NATO increase its defense targets to 4% of each country's gross domestic product. That's actually more than what the United States currently channels toward our own military. Number two. Brett Kavanaugh's financial disclosures show that over the past decade, the Supreme Court nominee incurred tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. A White House spokesman says Kavanaugh built up the debt by buying Washington Nationals season tickets and also tickets to playoff games for himself and friends. Some of the debt was also accrued to pay for home improvements. Kavanaugh's most recent financial disclosure forms reveal reportable assets between just $15,000 and $65,000. This means that if he joins the court, he will be the poorest of the nine justices. The debts and loans were either paid off or fell below reporting requirements in 2017. To try speeding up the confirmation process, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein is asking federal prosecutors to help review Kavanaugh's documents from his time in government. The New York Times reports that this request is highly unusual. The Justice Department has worked on previous Supreme Court nominations, of course, but prosecutors who pursue criminal investigations are not typically the ones assigned to such tasks. Meanwhile, abortion rights activists are zeroing in on a dissent that Kavanaugh wrote last fall addressing the case of a pregnant immigrant teen in federal custody. They believe the case indicates that Kavanaugh would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. The case involved a pregnant immigrant teenager in federal custody. In his dissent, Kavanaugh accused his colleagues of creating, quote, a new right for unlawful immigrant minors in U.S. government detention to obtain immediate abortion on demand. Number three, Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine, who is the Republican nominee for governor, pledged yesterday to retain the state's Medicaid expansion after spending years criticizing it as financially unstable. The surprising shift speaks to how politically difficult it is to roll back Medicaid once it's been expanded. Medicaid provides health care for 2.9 million Ohioans. During the GOP primaries earlier this year, DeWine even ran attack ads against his opponent, Lieutenant Governor Mary Taylor, for supporting the expansion. 
DeWine's Democratic challenger, Richard Cordray, is now criticizing his change as nakedly political. Cordray, who used to run the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, tweeted, quote, This is such an enormous flip-flop that it's more like a belly flop. DeWine's change of heart is also a big win for outgoing GOP Governor John Kasich. Medicaid expansion is his defining achievement during eight years in office. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, July 12th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.